0: So please give your attention now to the reading of God's Holy Word, Luke chapter 8 and verse 41. These are the words of our God, God Almighty. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age. And she lay a dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman, having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, The multitude throng thee, and press thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue or power is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith had made thee whole. Go in peace. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come once again to the preached word and a word that shows us the marvelous grace of our Lord. And no man is sufficient to preach such things save the Spirit of God rests upon him And so we pray, Father, that as your servant preaches, that Christ would speak through the word preached, that Christ would beckon all here to lay hold of him, to embrace him freely for the sake of the gospel, that they would be healed of their infirmities, of their uncleanness before God. And so, Father, we pray that you would do a mighty work in the hearts of all that would hear now the word preached open their hearts to receive the Savior by the preaching of the word, that this word would not be a word preached in vain. And we know that your word never goes out in vain. So we ask that you would be true to your promise as you have promised. Make this word do a mighty work among your people here, Father. And so we pray as we come before the preached word that you would help us to behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, at our prayer meeting this Wednesday, I exhorted you to look to the verbs of Scripture, to the actions which are undertaken by saving faith. What verbs come to your mind when you think of what a soul must do to be saved? Are the verbs that God gives us verbs like these? Work or atone? No. They're not, are they, friends? What are the blessed verbs that he uses? He uses verbs like these Look, look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Isaiah forty five twenty-two. He uses blessed verbs like believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Acts sixteen thirty-one. He uses blessed verbs like lay hold, lay hold on eternal life. First Timothy 6.12 The glory of these blessed verbs, these saving actions, is that they are available to beggars. They are available to beggars, friends. These verbs are not the verbs of the righteous, but of the unclean. These verbs are verbs given to those who have nothing to give to God, who have open hands before God and nothing else. These verbs are for those who have no merit, who have nothing and no standing before God. These verbs are for those in great debt to God because of their sin, which has defiled them. These verbs show us that salvation is freely given to us, received only by laying hold of Jesus Christ by faith, as He is freely offered to us in the Gospel. And that's what this woman today portrays for us, beloved, as she lays hold of Jesus Christ, faith driving her to embrace the Savior, even just the hem of His garments. Her one believing action there reverses a lifetime of uncleanness and an eternity of separation from the comfortable presence of God All of that is taken away by her simply laying hold, faith clutching for the Savior. And that is our gospel hope, isn't it, friends? That's our gospel hope, that by simply grabbing hold, receiving Jesus Christ by faith, we are saved. And so our theme is simple. It's to take hold of Jesus by faith and be made clean take hold of Jesus Christ by faith and be made clean. And we'll consider that under three heads. First is our connection. Second is her action. And third is Christ's grace. First, our connection. Whenever you come to a text like this, you must establish the link to ourselves. That whatever was written in Scripture was written for our learning. Why? That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So is this sermon text here delivered only, you might ask, for women who suffer from a certain kind of medical issue? Or maybe you might think, maybe it's not just for them, maybe it's a bit more expansive than that. Is this text for those who suffer physically and need physical healing from the Lord? Or is it actually far more expansive than that? Is it really for all those who hunger and all those who thirst after righteousness? Those who sense their isolation from the life of God and are aware of their uncleanness before Him due to the sin that has defiled them. Beloved, this text is actually very expansive. It's not narrow at all to a certain kind of women who suffer greatly in a physical kind of way. This woman's desperation and her disease serve to illustrate greater principles out of the Word of God. She speaks to a universal desperation and a universal disease. And in so doing, when she comes to the Savior of men, she shows us a universal hope that can be found in Jesus Christ. All of you, each and every one, must see yourself in this dear woman. Even if you are in the flower of your youth, even if your body is the very picture of vitality, Her diseased state before Jesus is you if you have yet to lay hold of Christ. And praise the Lord for this as well. Her healed state after touching Jesus is you after you have laid hold of him yourself. But let me say, because I don't want to dismiss physical maladies all too quickly, um, even her specific one. And I've lost track of the, the sisters who have had, Issues like this and suffer like this. And if you have a physical issue, remember, again, Christ is very compassionate towards you as well. You need to keep trusting in the Lord, sister, if you suffer like this. He does not promise all physical healings in this life, but he may grant your prayers as you are driven to him in your in your need. Even as you heard last week, right, when Jairus' daughter was raised, in the resurrection, if you are his... Jesus will heal your body completely, and you will suffer no more. And you must always look to that hope, look to that promise, and treasure it in your heart, especially on the Lord's Day as we considered it last time. Well, with that said, this woman had an issue of blood. And as I have alluded to before, our mistake is not seeing the spiritual malady that is before her. Because the real issue is, and a lot of times we read this and we don't have an understanding of our Old Testament as we ought, this woman was ceremonially unclean before God in the law of Moses. As it was for the leper we met in chapter 5. These are not physical, not just physical griefs we have to understand, but spiritual sorrows. Leviticus 15.25 and listen to this. And if a woman have an issue of her blood, here she is. Many days out of the time of her separation, meaning her cycle, or if it run beyond the time of her separation, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation. And listen to these dreadful words. She shall be unclean. This woman was made unclean. Do you know what that means for her, beloved? It means isolation. It means isolation from what? There are two great things that matter that she was isolated from. First, she was isolated from God. And second, she was isolated from God's people. Being unclean, she could not come to the temple. Isolated from the life of God. And then others, she couldn't uh, come in proximity of others. She would defile them. She was isolated from the life of Israel. Israel. The law says that the bed she lies on would be unclean. And the law said that what she sits on would be unclean. And any who touch those things would be made unclean as well. Twelve years of this, friends. Twelve years. Imagine not being able to come to church for 12 years if you were a believer. Imagine not being able to be around other people because you would make them unclean and they wouldn't be able to go to church either, so to speak, boys and girls. That's a long time. You might remember, how long was Jairus' daughter alive? 12 years. Essentially for that girl's lifetime. This woman has not been able to come before God. And I don't think those two things are a uh, uh, disassociate those two lengths of time. Essentially, for the life of this girl, she has been a part. It's like a lifetime of uncleanness, in other words. <sighs> Boys and girls, what does the Lord use leprosy and issues of blood then to show us? He uses these things that maybe are revolting to our flesh because we aren't revolted by sin. And so he uses these things. You think of the leper skin, sloughing off of himself, being away from everybody else and and slowly dying. That is meant to picture for you sin because you just don't see sin as grotesque as it should be to you. And so in the Old Testament to the church under age, he was in the habit of using these outward maladies. To show us the uncleanness of our sin. To show us how sin defiles us. And sad to say, right? You tell a man he is a sinner. And unless the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of his heart, the man will likely scoff. And the man will likely laugh. And the man will likely have no alarm whatsoever when you tell the man all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But what would happen if you tell that man he had just touched a leper? He will lose his mind with fear, won't he? But you ought to be more afraid that you are a sinner than you are a leper, is the thing. But that's why the Lord uses these pictures in the Old Testament, because we just are so dull, we don't see sin for the evil it is. And in case you don't understand that, do you remember when the prophet Isaiah, that holy man of God, came before God's throne... What did he say? Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. This was a holy man, wasn't he? A prophet of God. But did you ever realize that the words that he cries before God are the very words that lepers cry? Isn't it? What did lepers have to cry in the Old Testament? His clothes shall be rent and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper upper lip and cry, unclean, unclean. Leviticus 13.45. But why would a holy prophet say it? You would think, here is a man who is devoted to God. Could he be so unclean? Yes. For we are all as an unclean thing. Isaiah himself would later prophesy, Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We are all as an unclean thing. And the prophet knew it keenly, didn't he? He himself knew that I myself am as an unclean thing because I have come before The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, and I have said, woe is unto me, I am undone. But natural man says, I have done good things. Surely I cannot be unclean. But when Isaiah said, all our righteousnesses, all of our good deeds are as filthy rags. Well, many of you know this. The word filthy there means menstruation. Doesn't it? Do you see the connection then to the uncleanness of this woman? Your best works, mine too, apart from Christ, are just as this woman's issue of blood. Your goodness and mine either will get us nowhere but the judgment of unclean. And Isaiah saw it himself, saying, Woe unto me, meaning I am accursed, I am doomed because of my sin. Do you remember? You probably have Isaiah 6 in some ways uh, indexed in your mind if you've been a Christian for any length of time. But do you remember what came before he said, Woe is unto me. Before he cried that, what was being cried out in heaven? Weren't the seraphim crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That's why he cries, Woe is unto me, I am unclean. That's why God's pure holiness will cause even a so-called holy man to see their innate unholiness in view of God. What we have to understand then is like it was for this woman, that our sin, our uncleanness separates us from God. Isaiah 59.2, and drive this into your hearts, boys and girls. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Ephesians 4:18 and this is a memorable verse i especially love the authorized version here it says outside of christ we are alienated from the life of god alienated from the life of god and so it was for the leper and so it was for the unclean thinking of the leper he is unclean he shall dwell alone without the camp meaning outside the camp shall his habitation be leviticus 13 verse 46 That's a picture of eternity. It really is. That was a portrayal, a vivid portrayal of eternity apart from God. What will it be like on the day you die and meet God if you meet God apart from Christ? Like Isaiah, do you think you're going to do any better than Isaiah? No, (laughs) my friends, you will cry woe unto me. Your total alienation from God will have you dispatched to hell. How do you think you're going to dwell with God in heaven? Heaven is his dwelling place. Would you be welcome in the dwelling place of God Almighty? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. When you are unholy, no. Jesus will say, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew twenty five forty one. And part of hell's torment, which I think is very much underappreciated, especially today in the church, is that it is a place of severe isolation with no comfort. Your habitation will be outside or without the camp, right? What is it called, boys and girls? Do you remember what else uh, Christ calls hell? Outer, outer darkness, outer darkness. That's out of the camp. That's outside the camp, a terribly lonely place where you will weep and gnash your teeth, where the the fires of hell uh, will be burning you with no comfort. It's a terrible place to be so alone outside the camp. And all of this is just what Jesus has said. I've not made up any of it. You find that in the scripture. Search the scripture today and you will find it is so. And so you might ask, if you've never heard this before, is there a cure? Is there a cure for uncleanness? And that's what this text shows us, that blessedly there is a free cure. And so let's return to the woman in our next heading, which is her action. Again, for 12 years, since the last time her cycle began, her blood never stopped. A long time to suffer like that. And the text says that this woman spent all her living on physicians. Whatever she had in her name, she had given and to the doctors. She probably skimped on her food to afford medical bills. You know how that is if you've had a hard time paying the bills. She spent all her estate on doctors and had nothing to show for it. When you understand, though, I think, that her issue is not just physical discomfort, but this profound spiritual isolation alienation from the life of God and of Israel, I think you understand her desperation and why she spent all her living on finding a cure. And so if her issue of blood is given as a picture of her uncleanness, what does the healing then that Jesus freely gives her portray for us? The removal of her uncleanness. From chapter 5, verse 24, I want you to recall why Jesus said he healed. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. You see, you can't see the cure of sin, can you? Like, I can't see the cure of sin. Uh, I can see its effects perhaps in your heart and in your life. But you can't see it. But Jesus Christ is demonstrating that he has the greater power To cure sin by the healings which come that show with your own eyes that He has the ability to cure the greater issue, which is sin. This is what we have to understand. Afflictions unseen outwardly, right? Are more grotesque in our corrupted hearts. But those are the things, not Not outward leprosy, right? Not not, not so much. Not lameness in feet. Those are not the things that really and truly keep us from the life of God, but our heart's corruption. I want to have an aside, though, on physical maladies and physicians, though. Because this woman did spend all of her, her substance on the physicians. And some might say, especially like in the Word of Faith movement and in other cults, right? That, well, she shouldn't have spent her money on physicians. She should have just had faith. They believe that Christians ought never go to the doctor. But friends, if you have a great physical malady, you are to go and see the doctor. Jesus said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. He didn't say, well, don't ever go to the physician. He's using them as a as a spiritual illustration, right? Um, And the Holy Ghost doesn't chasten the woman here for seeing doctors. But what you must not do, though, as you go to the doctors, is put your faith and hope in them but that the Lord works through them, right? You don't say, well, if the doctor doesn't heal me, I am without hope, right? Again, we think on the resurrection, there's always hope for the Christian, both body and soul. We have our hope in Christ who works through means like physicians. And I just thought on how King Asa, we considered him in the prayer meeting a couple weeks ago, was guilty of trusting in his physicians and not God though. And Asa In the 30 and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord but to the physicians. Second Chronicles 16.12 So yes, see the physicians, but seek to the Lord and commit your cares to him. Going back though to our spiritual condition pictured in her, you need to see that none of them could cure her. And again, we're not so interested in the physical malady, but the deeper spiritual picture here. In the parallel text in Mark uh, uh five uh, actually it should be yeah, Mark five twenty six, and had suffered many things, this is speaking of her, of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. There's a spiritual picture there, friends. Her physicians are stand-ins for the spiritual doctors of the world and all of their uh, quackery, all of their prescriptions. What is the result? Nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. Right Outside of Christ, nothing is going to improve in your spiritual condition, but instead you are going to get worse. The spiritual doctors of the world say, go make your pilgrimage to Mecca. The spiritual doctors of the world say, go to the Wailing Wall in Israel. The spiritual doctors of the world say, go bathe in the Ganges River. The spiritual doctors of the world say, go to the Mass daily and do good works. You can do all the stuff doctors of false religions prescribe. But will you ever get better? No. You will get worse and worse and worse until you perish. You will spend all of your substance on vanity. And get worse until your faith drives you to the one who is known as the great physician, Jesus Christ. You will waste away until that happens. She spent and she spent and she spent and had nothing left. All she had was gone away. But beloved, in all of that, right, these physicians and they also charge and they take and they fleece you, don't they? But does Jesus charge anything for salvation? No. He says, ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat, yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul will live. Isaiah 55. Now here's a verb for you sinner. Come. Come. Just come to Jesus and live without price. He says, come unto me. All of you who are heavy laden and burdened like this woman. And he says what? I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. And how much does it cost you? Nothing. Nothing at all. Even though, and this is what we have to be in astonishment. Even though the salvation of your soul is costly. Even though the salvation of your soul is worth more than the entire universe. Even so, the redemption of your soul came at a terrible price, though you yourself do not bear it. What does Psalm 49 verse 8 say? For the redemption of their soul is precious or costly. What did it cost? God says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious Blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory. Why? That your faith and hope might be in God. Your redemption cost the precious Savior his precious life, his precious blood. Why? For the redemption of those he loves are precious in his sight. Isn't that what the truth of God's word is? If you would recognize that, your faith and hope would be in God, wouldn't it, as Peter exhorts? Believer, he gave himself up for you to cleanse you of all your uncleanness, that without price, freely having received him, he would pay the entirety of that price for you, for your sake. A lifetime of uncleanness, all of it, all of it. Isn't that the glory of the gospel? All of it, a lifetime, past, present, and future of uncleanness. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin and all uncleanness. And if you never knew that, you can find that promise in 1 John 1 verse 7. And the impurity of the woman's blood really points you to the purity of a blood that cleanses, doesn't it? A blood that is called washing. A fountain of blood from Christ's side. We read in the Revelation what? Unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. And if you've ever washed in that blood by faith, how clean you are today. How clean you are. Not even the slightest spot or stain of sin can cling to you because you are cleansed in Christ's blood. Let's return to the woman, though. You know, she had been made desperate, right? She had spent all, all that she has. And this does demonstrate to us, we come to Christ with open hands, don't we? Right? We come to Christ when we have nothing left, often. Sometimes the Lord brings us, when we're at the end of ourselves... When we've, we've tried, we've struggled with sin, we've done what the world has said, try to put it away out of our mind and embrace it even, and our consciences are inflamed, and we see the evil that we are, and we have nothing to do. We have nothing we can do but come to the Lord as beggars. We see this woman desperate, isn't she? At the end of herself. Driven to the same desperation as Jairus. These two souls are so desperate. And you think of this woman, right? Twelve years of this. Sometimes some souls struggle, right? Her Her desperation could have led her to a very dark place. Even a thought of ending her life. But what was she given? She was given faith in her desperation. Even the faith of Peter, who would later say what? To Christ. He thought on Christ and said, To whom else shall I go? To whom else shall I go? And that's where she's at at this text. And the reason that both Jairus and this woman are in the very same pericope is to communicate to you until your desperation has you see Jesus as your only hope, that you cannot work off your debt to God. You see that debt grows more and more every day and your conscience is troubled by your sinfulness, that you cannot be good enough for God. Until that desperation hits, you will not go to Him for salvation. You will be like the stubborn self-righteous Pharisee of whom Jesus said, ye will not come to me. There's that verb again. Ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Instead, Pharisee, with all your man-made rules and obligations, instead of doing all that, all you had to do is come. All you had to do is come to me and you would have eternal life. If you're a Pharisee, if you've been looking to your own righteousness, come and have life. Be made willing to come to Jesus. He says, but you are unwilling. Bless the Lord that this woman was made willing, as we sang in Psalm 110, verse 3. The Holy Ghost, and you have to think on this, used her condition really to grant her, to gift her with a desperate sense of need for Jesus. You imagine, I imagine anyhow, that one day she probably blessed God for giving her this issue of blood. Even thinking, so many in Israel, Lord, were never made desperate for the Messiah. Why me? Why bless me by driving me to Jesus in this way? Maybe she said, who am I that I should so suffer that I would be taken to Christ? I've heard from many of you how The Lord has brought difficulty in your life so that you would be driven to Him. A difficulty that caused you to cry out to the Lord. And really what that is, is His gift to you, isn't it? You need to bless Him for it and praise the Lord for all of His benefits to you. Because, sad to say, there are so few who are driven to the Lord. Bless Him that you were made willing in the day of His power. Well, her desperation moves her. And the text says she comes from behind Jesus. Now that's the same, isn't it? You think back a chapter to the woman, a sinful woman who comes to wash his feet. She comes from behind the Lord so that she has access to his feet. She probably came with a sense of shame, just as that woman uh, did as well, right? Um, she doesn't come in front of Jesus. She doesn't come to insert herself in front of the Lord Not wanting to admit, because you're going to see that a bit later. She doesn't want to admit her unclean condition before all these people. There's a whole crowd here. And imagine her having to say, Well, Lord, I have this issue of blood. I'm unclean. And you can almost imagine she thinking, All these people are just going to scatter away from her. And the Lord himself, if he was like the rabbis and the Pharisees, Would say, Be gone from me, woman. She doesn't yet know the Lord's compassion, does she? The Pharisees would have said, Woman, don't come near me. You are unclean. This is why they were so scandalized. This man uh, eats with sinners, they said. But what you need to do, sinner, is not be concerned about any of that. He said, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And you see that with this woman, too. Whatever the reasons were for her coming behind him, she came, though, with her faith. In Matthew's gospel, the Holy Ghost records her inward thoughts. She said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. Matthew 9.21. That's faith, friends, isn't it? That's saving faith. She has the conviction of faith in the Lord Jesus, that if I may but touch his garment, I shall be made whole. But where did such faith come from? You know, her faith, ordinarily, right, we hear, well, it's the ordinary means of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Well, Malachi 4.2 is a word of God that was very applicable to this woman. The prophesied of Jesus, boys and girls, 400 years before he came into the world. But unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Now, our English translation sometimes might obscure a little bit of the fullness of that. I think the translation here is good of wings, but it also in Hebrew means the flowing hem of a robe. It means the flowing hem of a robe. That Messiah would come and he would arise with healing even the very hem of his garment. Her faith takes hold of that word from God and she says in her mind, Messiah can heal me. Even if I just, the only thing I can touch is the hem of his garment. The the word of God says that there is healing in the hem of his robe. And he reached, she reaches for him, her faith taking hold of it. And you think of it, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you think of the greater gospel picture there. The son of righteousness arises to give us the healing of his own righteousness, doesn't he? When we reach out for the Lord Jesus. But you have to ask as well, and this is a matter of comfort for us. Who would give her such faith, right? Is this faith even her own? It is her own in a sense. She owns it. But who gave it to her? It was the Lord himself, wasn't it? Philippians 1.29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now I think even when you think on her sufferings, there's something marvelous about that verse. But it is given to you to believe on him. You know, the beauty of saving faith is it actually doesn't even come from our own heart initially, does it? It comes from God above and what that means is sometimes we don't think about the beauty of that, right? The testimony that that has to us, that if we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is God putting that faith in you, and so you can have an assurance of your salvation, because how is it that you even had that faith in the first place? It is the Lord out of his love and kindness depositing faith in your heart, isn't it? And so you know if you have saving faith that God is your father for a certain Faith is God's testimony that you are His, and that's why your faith should give you assurance. You say to your soul, My soul, is this faith that I have even mine in its source? No, but my God gave it to me. And so that when I lay hold of Jesus by faith, I know it is Jesus who has first laid hold of me. And that's exactly what the Scripture says. Philippians 3.12 Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend, that word is lay hold of, that for that which also I am apprehended or laid hold of, Christ Jesus. So, you might ask, well, pastor, where do I find Jesus today? To lay hold of him. He's not here. He's ascended. And I I trust you know this. He's ascended. He was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of God the Father. I, I don't have Jesus to go and grab the hem of his garments today. And no, he is not roaming the streets. And if any man tells you he is the Christ, run the other direction. But what did he say when the Pharisees were unwilling to come to him that they might have life? Where did he say he would be found? John five thirty nine 39-40. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Do you see how the Scriptures are how you come to the Lord Jesus? You believe in the testimony of the Word of God, and you will lay hold of Jesus Christ. It's that simple. You will have eternal life, and isn't that glorious? Is that not marvelous to you, friend? Are you still unwilling are you still unwilling to come? You need to be made willing. And you know, the, the wonderful thing about being in corporate worship is that we called on the name of the Lord and the Holy Spirit promises to be found in a place like this, in a time like this to make sinners willing. And so if you've not been willing until now, if there's been obstinacy in your heart, take hold of Jesus Christ now and believe. The gospel means good news, friends. May this be the day that you understand why. Now, if you are a believer, I want to encourage you in this. Constantly lay hold of Jesus Christ yourself. You don't just come to him once. Yes, once for salvation. Absolutely. You don't have to lay hold of him for salvation ever again. You are saved forever in that action as you persevere. But you must lay hold of him daily for growth in personal holiness for your sanctification. You must lay hold of him daily to run the race that is set before you for your perseverance. And let me put it to you this way. A minute of Bible reading and prayer with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is infinitely more efficacious than an hour of faithless reading and prayer. And of course, I think if you had spent that minute in faith-filled reading and prayer, Uh, I don't think you would stop at a minute either and you would continue on and on and on and you might actually say, it's too bad that I have to now go back to the world and go back to my duties in the Lord that I have in this present age. So, lay hold of Christ daily by faith. Uh, Due to time, I can't say much more than that, but I trust you understand the encouragement. Let's conclude then with Christ's grace. Well we have a problem to solve still. She touched Jesus, even just his garments. How could he she do it? How could she do it and live? Because Jesus is God in the flesh, isn't he? What did Isaiah see when he cried Woe is me, I am undone. It was the pre incarnate Christ, wasn't it? John twelve forty one, these things said Isaiah says Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. You see, Isaiah saw the Son of God on the throne. And Jesus is the one that the seraphim were crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy. Right? So why does she not cry out unclean as Isaiah did? Beloved, I think the solution to the problem will be a great encouragement to you. She came to the Son of God as we considered him in Psalm 110 as the God-man mediator not just as God, First Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You can have communion with God. You can come very close to God through Jesus Christ as the God-man mediator. Sinners can come as sinners. Isn't that the wonderful truth? As sinners to have all their guilt washed away through Jesus Christ. You can have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ as your mediator, friends. Fellowship with God. Doesn't that reverse what she had, which was isolation from God? But this woman now has a free and full access to Him. And I was thinking about her isolation from the life of God and the life of God's people. If you've ever felt that before, have you ever felt the joy of the reversal of it in 1 John 1, 3 and 4? That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Do you see what the Gospel does? It takes away the isolation from God and from the people of God and gives you fellowship with God and His people. And this woman's healing, it signifies all of that truth. What a thing these things are to ponder, aren't they, beloved? It's the gospel, not the stuff of dreams that we have sung of in Psalm 126 in previous days. Then filled with laughter was our mouth, our tongue with melody. Then among the heathen said, the Lord great things for them hath wrought. The Lord hath done great things for us whence joy to us is brought. Well, verse 44 in our text says, after she touched Christ... Immediately, her issue of blood stanched. Immediately. What a word that is. Immediately. All her infirmity gone away. The blood stops in an instant. Twelve years of misery, erased in the twinkling of an eye by Christ's power. What the physicians could never do in twelve years and only made her worse, Jesus did without effort. Once she was unclean, but in a moment, straight away, she was made clean. And she was made forever clean. That's the power of Christ to make you whole. The terror of God and his law gone. You have peace with God in an instant. In an instant. Romans 5, one. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the Lord commends to her that faith which has made her whole. And it's that same faith exercised in Jesus Christ that reverses and erases. It's the instrument, isn't it? It's, it itself doesn't cleanse you, but it's the instrument that God has given that you might be made clean. And I was thinking about this, especially as we've had our Calvin study on Tuesday, how different this is from the Popish system. Keep going on to the Mass. Keep doing penance. Make sure to take the last rites. And then there's purgatory after that anyway. Unless you're some great saint, so to speak. Rome and its system of physicians and doctors cannot cleanse. It's all rubbish and as worthless as the physicians the doctor ran to. No, the true gospel, it saves sinners, saves them immediately and saves them forever. Just as instantly as this woman's blood stopped and her uncleanness was removed, so it is with you, believer. So it is with you, believer. All your sins, past, present, and future, all of it cleansed. Though you still commit sins, if you are in the faith, if you are in the faith of Christ, it's all cleansed. It's all gone. For what purpose... Was this woman's sins cleansed so that she could now be a worshiper of God? The aim of the gospel, as we have said, is to worship and commune with God, your Creator, to worship, adore, bless, and have fellowship with God Most High. And if you knew who God was, this would be a great encouragement. You have communion and know the love of the most perfect being there is. What is that worth? Isn't he the most captivating being of all? Isn't he glorious? Isn't he marvelous? Aren't all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom hid in him? You think of her, for 12 years, unable to go to the temple to worship Jehovah, but on that day when Jesus took away her infirmity, she could instantly. The other truth here is that she didn't have to go to the temple to worship Jehovah. Jesus said to another woman the day was coming and is come where no one will have to go to the temple because he is here. And so Jesus uh, and so she falls at his feet and worshiped Jehovah in the flesh. And so through the mediator blessedly you can worship God wherever and whenever you want by faith. Well back in verses 45 through 47 Jesus said who touched me? When all denied, Peter said, they that were with him said, uh, and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody had touched me, for I perceive that virtue or power is gone out of me. He asks, who touched me? All of them deny it. All of them deny it, including the woman, of course. We're going to get to her in a moment and her fears. Peter, of course, didn't seem to understand the significance of Christ's question. Neither did the other disciples. But, of course, Peter is the one who actually uh, illustrates that for us so often. And that's probably, you know, you think about what they're thinking. Lots of people are touching you, Lord, so why are you asking? So many people are asking. And I'm sure I would have been as clueless as Peter and the disciples if I were there. And that's why so many of us love Peter, because he says the things that we are thinking. But Jesus is so patient with Peter, isn't he? even as he is patient with all of you, his disciples. Why did the Lord ask the question? He knew who touched him. He's God. He didn't have to ask, well, where did this power go? And of course, any release of his power is on his own will. Right? He's not some magic rabbit's foot that you just touch and are magically healed. His power must come to you. His purpose was this for her to witness to the crowd what he had done for her. In verse 47, 47, she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. She testified of two things before all the people. One, why she reached out to Jesus, and two, that he healed her immediately. What a great witness you would be, beloved, if you kept to those two points telling all the people why I laid hold of Jesus and my desperation as a sinner. And then second, not only did I do that, but Jesus healed me immediately, immediately, straight away. And if that is all you have to say before men, that is more than enough of a witness, beloved, And he works through simple means like that to bring glory to himself. Not much different than what he told the former demoniac. Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Do not be intimidated by the world. Simply tell all men, I was a sinner. I could never be healed of it by any of the world's religions. But I came to Jesus... And by His grace, He saved me from all my sin, and He gave me a new heart to believe. His blood washed me away from a lifetime of iniquity, past, present, and future, all healed immediately. How often has the unbelieving world heard that, friends, or heard it from you? Or you can say things like, no evil have I committed that Christ has not cured and forgiven by faith in His blood. Now, I want you to consider the woman and her fears for a moment, even after Jesus healed her. Verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all people for a cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. You see, even after being healed, the woman had not yet fully understood Christ's grace, had she? She wanted to hide she still wanted to hide and she trembled before the Lord. But here is the thing, friends. Cleansed by Christ, you no longer have to hide before God. Beloved, is that not a marvelous thought? When Adam, this is the reverse, isn't it, of Adam and Eve in the garden under the covenant of works. When Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God because they were ashamed. Rightly so, rightly so. And yet most sinners don't have the sense to be ashamed before God of their sin. But when Christ forgives you, when Christ heals you, you don't have to hide from God. When Christ calls her, he does not smite her. He shows her kindness. And when you sin, believer, does Christ not ever invite you back to him and say, don't hide from me? But what? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. And when she trembled before the Lord, when she feared the Messiah, what did he say? Verse 48. He says this to all of you who believe. Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Even what he calls her, daughter. Daughter. She's adopted by God, isn't she? She has the comfort of the Holy Ghost who testifies, Abba, Father. Her faith, and her faith alone made her whole, made thee whole. That's a memorable memorable way the authorized version communicates salvation. The Greek under it communicates well-being. But that's what salvation is, being made whole. If you're made whole by grace through faith, Jesus says to you what? Go in peace. You will never say when you come before God in Christ, unclean, unclean. God is your father. And so believer, son or daughter of God, be of good comfort today. That's why the worship service will end with a benediction, doesn't it, on you believers? It's a word from God that says what? Go in peace with, thy, uh, with my blessing. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Well, friends, you have set, you have had rather Jesus set before you. And the question for all of us is what will we do with him? Will you walk away from him now? Or will you simply lay hold of him by faith? Will you say to yourself, well, I guess I'll just be happy to be unclean and one day say woe is unto me when I come before the presence of God. What will you do with Jesus? The verbs here are simple, aren't they? And you've heard them. Come, embrace, trust. Simple verbs that a child can exercise. So exercise them. But for you, who have faith in Jesus. The verbs are what? After all your uncleanness, after seeing they're all gone away, they're simple too. Rejoice, praise, and then follow. Isn't it? Follow the Lord who has saved you. Rejoice in the Lord who has saved you. Praise and bless the Lord who has saved you all this day and all the days of your life. May the Lord give us faith that we would depart from here in peace then. Amen. If able, please rise for prayer. Our Father and our God, oh, to have the faith of this woman. Give us such faith, Father, that we would believe that those who diligently seek after you will be rewarded by God, if we diligently seek after you by faith. Father, whatever obstacles we might imagine between us and the Lord, would you have faith, see that there are no obstacles. The only obstacle is the obstinacy of our own heart. Would you remove that obstinacy from us, O God, that we might be willing to come to Jesus for life and salvation and blessedness. Father, we pray that any here who have not known God as their Father through Christ would this day receive the Lord and that they would see all their uncleannesses taken away by the Savior when they do receive Christ by faith. Father, would you help us who believe? Bless your name. Father, help us not be like the nine lepers who never came back to give glory to God. Only one came back, Father, 10%. Father, we pray that all here who have been cleansed by the Lord would be as that one leper that all here would come to give glory to God for an unearned and unmerited salvation and we praise you and bless you and look forward to the day when we will come before your presence in Christ where we will not say woe is unto me but instead we will have the blessedness of your shining face upon us father help us to live life in view of eternity now we ask in Jesus name amen